0: All right, morning, church. Good to see you, good to hear you singing God's praises together. Now we're going to study his word. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 2, Luke's gospel chapter 2. And if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, it's a joy to have you. Thanks for being here. We've spent all this month so far, and we'll continue to spend this month thinking about fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the advent, and thinking about the significance of God's arrival on planet earth, Emmanuel, God with us, and what it all means for our lives and for our mission as gospel people. This is a classic text, Luke chapter 2, so if you'd follow along, I'm going to start reading in verse 8, and then I'll read through verse 20, if you'd follow along as I read. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, "'This will be the sign for you. "'You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth "'and lying in a manger.' "'Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts "'with the angel, praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest heaven "'and peace on earth to people he favors.' "'When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, "'the shepherds said to one another, "'Let's go straight to Bethlehem "'and see what has happened, "'which the Lord has made known to us.' "'They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph "'and the baby who was lying in the manger.' After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you inspired Luke to give these words and report from eyewitnesses the events that transpired and took place 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you have spoken to us clearly and told us about who Emmanuel is, what his name is, and what the significance of his arrival means for our lives, and for the whole world. We pray that you would bring that home to our hearts in a fresh way, that you would mobilize us with a passion for the mission of the gospel in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's the greatest story ever, the story that's captured here. It's the greatest story ever, and and even if you're not familiar, even if you haven't read the Gospel of Luke before, these words might be familiar to you if you've seen Charlie Brown Christmas, right? There's that moment, the climactic scene at the end where Charlie Brown just raises his arms in frustration, and he shouts, isn't there anyone who can tell me the meaning of Christmas? And there's Linus with his blanket, trusty blanket in his hand, and and what does Linus say? He says, sure, Charlie Brown. (laughs) I can tell you the meaning of Christmas, and then he walks center stage with his blanket, and he says, lights, and then the lights come up, and then he recites this text we were just looking at. He recites this passage, and and in a sweet little gesture, actually, the moment that he says, the angel said, do not be afraid, he lets go of his security blanket, which is like unthinkable, but he drops the security blanket the moment that the angels say, do not be afraid, right? Well, in our passage, The people who hear the gospel, the angel message is delivered to these shepherds, and it changes them on the inside. It moves them to a different place. They receive it, they believe it, and then they proclaim it, and they worship the Christ that this gospel centers on. You see the sequence of hearing the word and then speaking the word, which is the movement of of God's gospel in his people. So this story, I hope what we're gonna see in this passage are three pictures that move us, followers of Jesus, to proclaim this gospel that centers on Jesus, that move us toward missional faithfulness as the people of God. The first picture that we see here is God's heart for the world. We see a picture of God's heart for the world. The angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified, right? Verse 10. The angel said, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel says, This message is good news, it's great joy, and it's for everybody. It's for all the people, which is proven by the fact that this word first comes to shepherds. This would have been a category of people who would not, it would not be intuitive for us to expect that the first people who get to hear this are shepherds of all people. Shepherds were despised in the ancient Near East at this time. A third century rabbi wrote these words. He said, there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. They were looked at with suspicion. Their testimony was not admissible in a court of law because they were just generally regarded as shady people. They were lumped in with tax collectors. They were lumped in with gamblers. One rabbi would say around that period of time, quote, no one should feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. That's how the world looked at shepherds, and yet here come the angels of all people. They come to shepherds. In other words, the, the, even the nature of the announcement and who the announcement comes to signals the nature of the gospel itself. It's a gospel for all people. Of course it comes, even to shepherds, right? Here's the, the takeaway for us. Those despised by the world find favor with God. The announcement of Christ's birth signals this truth that those despised by the world can find favor with God. It was the 16th century Protestant reformer Martin Luther commenting on this passage and he wrote these words. Who then are those to whom this joyful news is to be proclaimed? Those who are faint hearted and feel the burden of their sins like the shepherds to whom the angels proclaim the message. Letting the great lords in Jerusalem who do not accept it go on sleeping. Word from God and it reaches the lowly. It reaches even, even the shepherds Those despised by the world find favor with God. It's not just the announcement and the nature of the announcement that signals a truth, but the placement of the birth of Jesus signals a truth. And it's this, God removes obstacles to put salvation within reach. removes obstacles to put salvation within reach. You just think about it for a second. If the angel had said to them, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a palace. They're not even gonna try. Right? Because we're not... We don't get invites. Shepherds don't get invites into palaces. And if we showed up unannounced, they would laugh us off the premises. There's no way we have access to a place like that, spontaneously showing up at a place like that. But since it's a manger, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough for cattle that's been repurposed as a bassinet. Right, well now, I think they'll let us in there. I don't think they'll even notice the shepherd's musk that enters the room with us. I'm not sure they'll notice how dirty our feet are because it'll blend in with everything else. In other words, this is a place where all the obstacles and barriers have been removed. You, you can come on in here. Even unannounced, you can walk right up. The shepherds, the, the, the obstacle has been removed by the, the detailed providence of God. Here they come to the manger. Bec- why? Because it's good news of a great joy that's for everybody. It's a glorious truth, right, that the people, you think about it, so the people who were invited to see Jesus in the manger, in a sense, they're all the wrong people. Mary and Joseph, that's intuitive, of course they're going to be there, but, but everybody else, it, it's shepherds, and it's the magi from the east. These are magicians, and when you think magicians in the ancient Near East, don't think that, you know, these are people who did card tricks, you know, they're, they're not walking through town pulling quarters out from behind children's ears. That, that's not the kind of… These are astrologers. These are sorcerers. New Testament scholar uh, at Reformed Theological Seminary, he said this word for magi, magos, he said it's the word used for interpreters of astrological signs or dreams. Philo uses that same word, magos, for the Egyptian sorcerers, of Exodus chapter 7. Josephus, ancient historian, uses it for dream interpreters. In the Greek of Daniel chapter 2, Magoi appear with the Babylonian enchanters and wise men consulted by Nebuchadnezzar to interpret the dream. In Acts 13, it describes Bar-Jesus and Alimus as a Magos. Some believed Magoi legitimately possessed supernatural abilities. Others deemed them charlatans. So, Pick whichever one you want, that they have supernatural, almost demonic powers, or they are charlatans. Either one begs the question, what are they doing at the manger? Why do they have courtside tickets? Why do they have front row seats to see the king entering the world of all people, right? You wouldn't expect it to be them. If you're part of the religious establishment of the time, you're saying, oh, if there's a party, if there's a birthday party for the Messiah, I should have been invited. I should have been the first to be invited. If you're part of the majority establishment, religious establishment, and you find out that, that on the guest list are shepherds and sorcerers, you're thinking, I'm glad I wasn't invited. I don't want to go to that place, right? Well, it was a party that God was throwing. They weren't invited, but it's a perfect guest list if you're God and you want the world to believe what the angel said, that this is good news of a great joy, and it's for Everybody. It's for the whole world. It's for all people. So you see a picture here of God's heart for the world. You see a picture a second of God's gift to the world. Picture of God's gift to the world. Don't be afraid. Good news of a great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A Savior is born who is the Messiah and the Lord. What do we What do we learn about this gift? We learn number one: the gift brings joy. Note again those words. I love it. Good news of great joy for all the people. Does that mean that everybody who hears the gospel feels joy at the gospel? No. Lots of people reject the gospel. Lots of people hate the gospel. You and I would hate the gospel were it not for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit who opened up your heart to see the glory of Jesus Christ on the day of your conversion. He took away your stony, resistant heart and he gave you a fleshy, responsive heart and suddenly your eyes saw and you worshiped and you came to him with believing faith. So the point isn't that the joy just comes to every person in the world. It's that the joy comes to those who receive the gospel, those who believe this gospel, the joy comes right this the upshot of believing faith in jesus christ in other words wherever the holy spirit opens people's eyes to see the glory of jesus christ there will begin to be this rising joy this emerging invincible joy and it's linked to hope so it's not just you know sort of giddy feelings and it's not based on circumstances anybody can have that kind of joy it's unshakable joy and it's linked to an unshakable hope think about this for example so I've been reading here at the end of the year some Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a person who rose up against the horrors and atrocities of Nazi regime in Germany at the time. He was imprisoned, and uh, and when he was imprisoned, he he would preach to the fellow prisoners. He would preach God's word to them, and they even let him preach on Sunday mornings. He would even gather a group of people, and he would preach God's word every Sunday morning in the prison. And Easter Sunday that year in 1945 fell on April the 1st and it was said that they could hear American guns firing outside and the prisoners inside just felt this leap of joy like it won't be long now. The, the, the Germans and the Nazis are going are to hoist the white flag, they're going to surrender, and then, and then there's not going to be any more trials, and all the hangings are not going to be scheduled, right, because, because the ball is bouncing away from them, so surely they're not going to proceed forward with the trials and, and so forth. Well, they were going to proceed forward with the trials, and, and Bonhoeffer was still scheduled to be hung with piano wire on April the 9th, 1945, so he had a week and one day, which means he gets one more Sunday to preach God's word. And what's the text that Bonhoeffer chooses on April the 8th? He chooses 1 Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That was the text that he chose the Sunday before he died. Matter of fact, the very next day when he was headed to the gallows, he turns to a friend and he, these were his last words. He says, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. That's invincible joy. That's Christmas joy. That's what God was unleashing on the world in Jesus Christ. All who believe, you get this unshakable, invincible, deeply founded Joy, the gift brings joy. Second, the gift is for all people. I'm gonna say more about that in a moment, but just think about the fact that the Apostle Paul comes on the scene later and he's writing his magnum opus, he's writing the the letter to the Romans, right? And this glorious volume on the, work of God in Christ, his saving plan for the world. And it's basically a big, long missionary support letter. And at the end of Romans, in chapter 15, Paul says, let me just tell you the, what's the plan. Let me tell you what's the strategy. Here's what it is. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard Will understand. Well, why is that the heartbeat of the apostle in Romans chapter 15? Because the early announcement from the angels to the shepherds was, I got good news and it's got great joy and it's for the whole world. It's for all the people. So Paul says, well, why don't we find the people who haven't heard the news? Who haven't got the joy yet? Let's go tell them. Let's go further and further out until the world is spread with this good news of Jesus Christ, the gift brings joy, the gift is for all people, and the gift is a person. The gift is a person. Today, the angel says, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah and the Lord. And it's at this point that the whole passage comes home with all of its power, right? What, what does the cr- Christian faith Announce! It announces that joy comes from God for all in Christ. That's the announcement of Christmas. Joy comes from God for all in Christ. What does the angel say? He says, I'm going to tell you three things about the baby. You're going to look over into the bassinet and you're going to see you're looking at the Christ, the Savior, And the Lord. Let's just take those one at a time. You're looking at the Savior. He's the deliverer. He's the one who liberates us from powers too strong for us. He's the rescuer, right? That's what Savior means. He's the Christ, which means he's the one we've been waiting for. God's people have been waiting for. He is the promised son of Abraham. He is the promised son of David. He will sit on David's throne eternally. He's the king we've been waiting for. That's what it means that he's the Christ, the anointed one. And he's the Lord, meaning he's God. He's worthy of your worship. Right there at the manger, it would be totally fitting to worship him because he's the Lord. He's the kurios. He possesses the divine name. He didn't look like much on Christmas morning, but that's who he was. There was a writer in the early church recognized as one of the Cappadocian fathers he was called the theologian at that time at the late 300s he was writing a man by the name of Gregory of Nazianzus and he, def- he was a valiant defender of the trinity when the trinity was uh, when the heat was on and there was error about the doctrine of the trinity and he was a valiant defender of of that and the truth of the gospel and And he wrote in the late 300s about the mystery of the incarnation that Jesus Christ is at the same time fully man and yet fully God. And he talks about the tension of that beautiful mystery. Here's what he writes He was wrapped in swaddling bands, but at the resurrection, he unloosed the swaddling bands of the grave. He was laid in a manger, but was extolled by angels. He hungered, yet he fed thousands. He thirsted, yet he exclaimed, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He was tired, yet he is the rest of the weary and the burdened. He pays tax, yet he is emperor over those who demand the tax. He prays, yet he hears prayer. He weeps, yet he puts end to weeping. He asks where Lazarus is laid. He was man, yet he raises Lazarus. He was God. He is sold and cheap was the price, yet he buys back the world at the mighty cost of his own blood. (laughs) Friends, behold the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. We look to him and we start living. This story is worth telling. This story has to get to all the people. (laughs) because it's gonna bring great joy when it gets to them. Look, if you haven't believed this gospel yet, maybe you're here this morning, you haven't believed this gospel from the heart yet, it's time this morning to start believing because there's no other savior coming. He already came. God sent his one and only son into this world to live a perfect life in obedience to God's law, unlike what we have done, to die and to be crucified for our sins. Our sins were laid on him and then he rises again from the dead three days later and says, new life for everybody who repents and believes so that the repenting and believing begin because joy comes through Jesus. Nobody else can bear your shame forever. Nobody else can give you the peace with God that the angels were promising on Christmas morning. Nobody else can give you joy that sticks, joy that lasts forever forever. Joy with staying power. What we see in this moment is God's heart for the world. We see God's gift to the world and we see God's people. Third picture, God's people in the world. God's heart for the world in need, God's gift to the world in need, and God's people in a world of need. Look at verse 13. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. What do we see exemplified in that response? We see this truth, this principle. Gospel announcement is met by believing obedience. Gospel announcement is met by believing obedience. The angel tells them the message of the gospel, good news. It's even the word from which we get the word gospel, euangelion. I bring you good news. And that gospel message meets with immediate obedience. The angel leaves and they say, let's go now. Let's hurry To Bethlehem, and they go with expectant faith. They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see what was told to us and see what the angel said we would see. They're going with expectant faith that's been born in their hearts by God. Literally, in the original language, verse 15 doesn't just say the shepherds said. It's an imperfect tense verb. So it's the shepherds were saying. It's pointing to this ongoing conversation. In other words, when we read verse 15, we're to get the idea that they couldn't stop talking. They wouldn't shut up. They just kept talking about what we had just seen, what we had just heard, the message that they had just heard. They couldn't stop talking about it. And then they don't just talk to one another about it. So they had heard it, they talked to one another about it, and then they get into a room and whoever's standing in front of them and sitting in front of them, they start telling them about it. Look at verse 16. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they, here's a proclamation word, reported the message that they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. What do you, what do you see here? You're seeing the shepherds moving from receiving the story to giving the story. They're recipients of the story and then they're custodians, they're stewards of the story. And in the same way that they had been affected and moved by hearing this gospel with believing faith, everybody in the room is moved by hearing the gospel that they're pronouncing, right? So Mary is just drinking it up. She's treasuring every word that's coming out of their mouths. She's treasuring them in her heart. And then it says, all who heard were amazed. So you just see this gospel reverberation bouncing off the wall into people's hearts. It's penetrating deep down into their hearts, storytelling does in the grace of God. I love how our passage ends verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. What's emerging here? What what principle, what truth do we see in living color? We see this truth. Those who behold the Lord proclaim his worth. Those who behold the Lord proclaim his worth. The angels proclaimed his worth in the skies above the shepherds. Then the shepherds go and they see Jesus in the manger and they leave proclaiming his worth and glorifying and praising God. Those who behold the Lord proclaim his worth. I love what Daryl Bach, who's a professor at Denver Theological Seminary, he's talking about this text and he says this. He points out the, the pattern. The shepherds reflect a vibrant faith where the sequence is God's word, faith, and then testimony. Hearing of the truth of the gospel, believing the truth of the gospel, speaking the truth of the gospel, testifying, bearing witness to the truth of the gospel. That pattern is set in our text. Why as a church, just think about us. Why do we talk so much about the nations? Why do we talk about 3.2 billion people around the world who have never heard The gospel of Jesus Christ? Why don't we use these cadences of language that have become so familiar to us over the years? Praying, giving, going. Why don't we have built in rhythms? Like every Sunday we recite the Great Commission on our way out the door. Or why don't we pray when we have our times of prayer of intercession in our gatherings? You may not notice this, but one of the things that we do is we're praying in concentric circles. So we pray for things going on in our church, in our faith family, going on in our city and things going on in the world. Why don't we do that? And do it over and over and over? Why don't we have songs and stories nights? Why don't we have commissioning gatherings where we gather around people who are gonna pick up stakes and move their life to somewhere else in the world and live among people, many of whom have never heard the gospel, and they're gonna live their whole life and make it their ambition and passion to spread the word of Jesus to the people in that community. Why do we do the stuff we do? Why do we take up a special offering all through the year and feature it every single week in the month of December, the global offering, all of which those resources go out the door for the advancement of the gospel. Why do we do the things that we do? Because on day one, the angel said to the shepherds, you cannot keep this news to yourself. It's good news of a great joy and it's for everybody. It's for the whole world. World. So if you find a place in the world where they haven't heard, well, that's the next place you gotta go because this is great joy. It's waiting for them. As soon as you get there, joy arrives. It's why we do what we do. But the word has to get there. In the 1800s, there was a painter and uh, he was living in New Haven with his wife and two children. A third was on the way. She was pregnant with her third Child. And then word comes to him, 1825, word comes to him that there's a hero from the Revolutionary War that is coming to New York and they want this painter to go meet him in New York, leave immediately, get to New York as fast as you can because we want you to paint a portrait of this revolutionary hero. And so a week later, he's in New York. He's traveled all the way there, he's there, he's prepping, setting up everything for the portrait that's about to happen and then there's a knock on the door behind them. He goes through the door and there's somebody with a letter and the letter has these words, your dear wife was very ill, but she's recovering. Problem is that the courier had taken several days to get to New York. And so by the time he got back to New Haven where his family was, his wife was not only dead, she had already been buried. And he was wrecked by this, so, so devastated by it that he spent the next 45 years of his life making sure nobody else experienced that. His name was Samuel Morse. He invented the telegraph. He invented Morse code. A famous statement that runs through the annals of missionary history is, gospel's only good news if it gets there on time. People are perishing without the hope of Jesus Christ. The news has got to get there and it's got to get there fast. That explains the urgency of the mission of the gospel over 2,000 years of the church's history. Friends, what explains all of the rhythms that we have about missionary heartbeat and fervency is that it's not enough that we've heard. Praise God that we've heard. That explains our worship this morning it's not enough that we've heard and it's not okay that they haven't. Why? Because this is great joy. And as soon as they hear it, there's the prospect of them worshiping Jesus, experiencing his hope. what's What's the upshot? The upshot is it. storytellers are needed. Storytellers are needed. When's the last time that you and I, before the Lord, said, Lord, where do you want me to tell the story? You want me to tell it Here? Because nobody's got the option to not tell the story. We're all storytellers. Do you want me to tell it here or do you want me to pick up stakes and go somewhere where people haven't heard it and tell it there so that great joy reaches all the people? An atheist uh, British slaveholder stole 2,000 men and women from Africa and carted them off to an island in the West Indies where he made them work for him and make money for him. And he said, no missionaries are allowed on my island. And even if you shipwreck or somehow accidentally show up here, we're gonna put you off in another house where you have no access to tell these slaves about your Christian message. Two young Moravians heard about this island in the West Indies and these 2,000 slaves. And they said, we'll go to them even if we have to sell ourselves into slavery to tell them. And these two Moravian missionaries, they set off and as their boat pulled out of the harbor, they turned around to their families who they might see for the last time and they raised their hands and they shouted a prayer that has been the missionary impulse of the church for generations. And this was their prayer. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Now why would they say that? Because they had read the Bible and they knew that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross of Calvary to purchase sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And here's 2,000 of them on an island, and they'll never hear. And their impulse and their heartbeat was I want to see all of those 2,000 around the throne of God worshiping the Lamb. May the Lamb who is slain receive his reward. Their worship is his reward shepherds heard the greatest story ever told and they left and they couldn't shut up. That's what the gospel's meant to do in the hearts of followers of Jesus. Friends, let's not look at the manger and miss the connection to the mission, the mission of the gospel. Let's not just have receptive faith. That's where we began this series. Let's not just have Godward faith. Let's have receptive faith. Let's have Godward faith and let's have proclaiming faith at Christmas. Let's pray.